Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow, great to see you again. Critics agree, Loki season two is marvelous, great, and it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two, now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. You are listening to Absent Minded. Brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com Hello and welcome to another episode of Absent Minded. I'm joined by Anton Rosgård in one ski chalet up in Sweden. Hello, Anton. <laughs> yeah, uh, hello to you too. It's uh, wonderful weather, a couple of uh, degrees above Celsius, but it's uh, sunny and beautiful. And with us, we're joined by Jason Paul <laughs> in another hello. chalet, but unfortunately yeah, not in another Sweden. Chalet. <laughs> in Canada. In, in Quebec, Canada. actually. So it's beautiful. It's about minus 10 and uh, we'll hit the slopes probably in about an hour. Ah, that sounds amazing. I haven't been skiing for ages, but it's it's something I like to do as well. Yeah, I'm about I'm probably about 45 minutes away from the Molson Center. Well, no, about, about an hour and a half. We're going to listen to an answer to a question that John Liu asked last night uh, after the game to Claude Julian. And uh, we'll get back to you after we listen to the question and the answer from Claude. To the mental errors and the flawed decision making that you were referencing earlier, uh, in your mind, is that acceptable coming off a week of rest where practices were dedicated to sharpening the team's overall game? Yeah, there's, there's nothing, John, that should be acceptable. Uh, you know, to, to, to accept certain things is, is not uh, being very uh, committed to, to winning. And I think we expect more out of ourselves. And uh, it's disappointing tonight because we had, the, we had our legs, we had our opportunities. We, uh, you know, had we been sharp mentally and then really cut down on some of those mistakes, we could have won this game, but we shot ourselves in the foot with those kind of mistakes. So that's on us. And uh, no, I don't think we should sit here and say it's acceptable after being off for a week. And we're back to the original podcast. And, and it's a really interesting question that that is being asked and also that is being answered very honestly. Looking to last night's game uh, against Toronto Maple Leafs, there were some costly errors in in many regards, and and we have it was as Claude Julian mentioned in his post game interview that it was mental mistakes. We saw uh, Montreal held themselves very well to Toronto in the in the opening period, but in the second period the mental mistakes started to fold. It started with a, a penalty taken by Victor Mede and. Uh, then I think it was Cheryl, was it, that, that put the yep. puck over the glass? Yeah. Yep. And, yes. uh, and it creates a 5-on-3. And what we learned from even playing Toronto the first game of the season, we, we realized that don't give them a 5-on-3. 
with, with yeah. the movement they have and with the skill they have, it's 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 not easy to to defend against it. Um, I think uh, Bieksa said that he wanted the the, the uh, Montreal players to have the sticks to cut that pass from Marner to to Matthews, but I'm, I'm, I find it difficult to believe. But Jason, you, you joined us on the pod earlier, and and we spoke about the penalty kill or the box play, whatever we want to call it, but. Uh, and you said at that time, it ranks very high in the NHL due to the fact that Montreal scores a lot. Uh, on the other hand, uh, they also give up a lot of quality chances. That It really seems to be a, a mix here. It seems to be that Montreal is very good on the forecheck to stop the other team coming into the zone. But as soon as they the other team has set up in the offensive zone, the Montreal zone, uh, all havoc is is created on Montreal's behalf. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, this is long-standing issue with them being able to suppress the chances. The actual PK in suppressing the chances against is not good. Uh, we've been saying this on the podcast and, and other venues all year. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit of a lipstick on a pig here with the fact that they have seven shorthanded goals that makes them look good but the actual penalty is still not good. It's improving a little bit, I can see, like looking at the data, but still not where you want it to be, for sure. Yeah, I wasn't going to ask, like because um, I remember sitting there during that uh, three-on-five and just thinking like, oh, they're actually not letting up any chances whatsoever. And then with one second left of Mete's penalty, uh, Matthew scores. And then you have 42 seconds left on Charot's penalty and then oh, yeah after after a petri uh failed failed um yeah just a failed puck dump uh they score a second one so then obviously like for one in 59 or whatever you can call it of, of mete's penalty it actually looked quite decent but then they let up a goal anyway and that obviously hurts the stats right exactly yeah it's just it it, it shows that they're maybe not that resilient they seem to be they, they were deflated right after that yeah and the penalty kill, but I just want to make one point on that penalty kill where um, Matthew scored. It was Edmondson, right? That was in the lane. I mean, I know it was uh, two men down, so uh, not very fair. But I mean, um, Bergevin at the at this summer or off season, sorry, one of the things, one of the words he kept using uh, about his players and about his defensemen was, "I like their range." I don't know if you remember that, and. And on the Twitterverse, we were like, well, what does range mean, right? Does range mean his ability to skate from one end to the other? Or does it mean physical range where you can, like a chara, take your stick from one side of the uh, lane and put it on the other side of the lane, right? And I think that's what they liked about Edmondson. But unfortunately, on that play, that's what he didn't do. What He didn't do that. He, I don't know if you noticed that play. He went right to the front of the net and then the pass went to Edmondson or to uh, Matthews. Indeed, and and it seems a little bit like uh, as a, the the movable objects that are Charot, Weber, and and uh, Edmondson, and and to a certain degree Kulak um, on the penalty kill are, are you might need defenders that are a little bit more mobile, especially with the kind of passing that some of these teams in the North Division are are setting up. We said at the beginning of the season, and I, and I thought maybe wrongly that the team was built to to play against top heavy teams right defensive quote unquote defensemen right um but they're built that way but 
now when they're I see you can see it when they're down a goal or two they don't have the horses to to come back from the back end right so they're kind of they're built this way they're built one way they're built the way to kind of get the lead keep the lead um, but not the other way around we're seeing that those holes there I think indeed and and I I was looking at it from from another point as well where I was considering like is it built for the playoffs? Is it built for 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 the group for just getting to the playoffs? It, it seems like there's always been talk about the, the fact that this team is built for the playoffs. Firstly, as you mentioned, mentally they don't seem to have it in them to turn a game around. Secondly, there's going to be some really good teams in the playoffs. I mean, first and foremost, you have to go through what seems to be a resurgent, uh, sometimes at least. Uh, Vancouver, um, Calgary, or Winnipeg. And then you have to be Toronto unless you end up fourth and, and has to play Toronto in the first round. And either beating in Toronto, you're going to end up in, in the semifinals of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and you're going to beat have to beat some very, very good teams from the other divisions. So it's going to be, if you can't handle being behind and, and coming back from a series, and it seems like they can manage it when it's pro- one goal maybe but as soon as they're they have to score more than two goals it seems like yeah this team doesn't have it in them i don't know if i completely agree with you there patrick because i i, I think that they have shown mental toughness in the past uh i think that one of the things that actually made the reset so good um the last few years was the fact that it felt like this team never quit now yesterday obviously they actually came back from the first two goal deficit it was just when it went to another two-goal deficit, they actually, well, they had a puck in for to make it 4-3, and then that was disallowed, and that kind of that kind of killed um, the whole energy, I feel like, um, and just, you know, made it, made it a, um, kind of a lost game all the way from, the, from late in the second period. But I don't think that's the problem. I'm just wondering, like, do they need more mobile defensemen, as you said, on the penalty kill, just to be able to match up against speedier, uh, more more moving uh, offenses like Toronto, for example? Yeah, I I agree with that, and I think that um, I, I'm I'm not shocked, but I think I would wish that they were a bit more creative with their lineup and system changes. I mean, you know, a little bit more like football, uh, American football here, where you have you have a special lineup or a special team depending on who you're playing against. I'm a, maybe I'm a little bit naive in, in that sense when it comes to coaching as like, if you play a team, a certain team and you need speed and mobility, why don't you put Mete up with Weber for that game? Uh, if you're playing a certain power play that has a net front presence, then yeah, you play Edmondson and the big boys. If you have one that's moving it around, then you play Pete and Mete more or Kulak, right? I like, I just don't see those changes to match up against the other teams. Is it an over-reliance on your own skill or is it just coaching is not, you know, the the forte of Claude Julien to adapt that fast? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, hard to say. Like, we, we've seen it. We haven't seen it in the past. He likes to roll his lines. He likes to keep things together, which on one side of the coin, I like. Like, we've had coaches in the past that are continually mixing up the lines and it seems to be frustrating, but... I just think I haven't seen that evolution in hockey and maybe it's something, you know, that is beyond my understanding of the coaching realm. Like, why don't you see that a bit more often? 
you see, as you mentioned, you see it in other sports. You see it in, certainly in, in, in some regards to rugby. You see it in, in, in basketball. You see it in what we call football on this side of the pond, that, that you change and make certain adjustments in how to approach the game and how to approach different kind of, of, of teams that you're facing. Uh, and, and we did see Claude Julien make adjustments when, uh, as I call it, the front of the play was put on uh, when facing Vancouver. Uh, to the next game, he'd sorted out a different combination on the penalty kill in order for it to, to uh, really build forward and, and be sure to take out that slot shot that, that they were trying to pass in from behind the net into to the forward in front of the net. Um, so, so we know that he has been able to adjust. Um, is, is it just that Toronto is a ghost or, or can you, uh, can we see something else where, where he just puts too much trust maybe in, in, in his lineup? I don't know. I, I think he makes small adjustment adjustments. Of course I see, like you said, you see it in the power play or sorry, the penalty kill. And again, the data shows that I've, I've been pushing a lot uh, early in the season and on the off season that, you know, you know, Maybe Deneau and Lekkinen are not as good penalty killers as you think. Uh, that's what the data bears out, right? And we have other guys on the team that seem to be really good penalty killers like uh, Armia and Byron. And I did notice this year that those guys, the Deneau and Lekkinen, their actually PKI's time has decreased. So I, I, I see those little shifts. I just don't see the big, big shifts. Like, again, why, if you're down two goals, um, why aren't you putting Mete with Weber? Why don't you make that switch early? You, uh, coaches are notorious for weight, like being conservative. Um, and I think Julian is a, that old school kind of conservative coach. And this is what you're going to get. Class, a, a classic hockey momentum swing. As you guys watch the game, you know, if you're down a goal or two, the, the mantra is not, don't change the way you play. You hear this all the time. Don't change just, trust the system, keep going. But as soon as the, the clock ticks down to about eight minutes left in the game or 10 minutes left in the game and you're down by two goals, all of a sudden you see the, the defenseman pitching in, right? Like the, it's just classic. Um, but I'm just wondering why we're not seeing bigger changes for opponents like the leaps. I was going to ask just quick, um, do you think that there, it is a problem that Claude Julien is one of the old school coaches of the NHL? I mean, he's been in the league for for twenty something years now. He knows um, what he likes. I mean, we we saw him make adjustments to Montreal during the reset and the way he played, but it still very much reminds us of the way that he used to play with Boston. Do you think that he is a coach who? who goes through the analytics part and relies on that as well? Or do you think it's more of an old school hockey, uh, hockey mentality that he approaches the game with just, he needs his guys and he thinks that his methods are the correct methods and he doesn't rely on the numbers. Yeah, I do think that. I think that he's old school. I think the whole maybe, and that resonates through the whole coaching staff and the whole team. Um, I do think he adjusts, but I think it's very, very slow. <laughs> um, but I do think that um, I wrote an article a couple of years ago now about power plays, about the, some of the worst power plays in the league tend to have um, their best players are defensemen. 
So like the Nashville Predators with Yossi and the Habs with Weber. And those teams, those, they're not just their best players, they're their leaders on the team, right? And so what kind of message are you sending to the team when, you, when your best players are sitting and they're not there, right? So I think they have a hard time um, passing the torch away from some of these players. And, uh, but it's slowly happening. So I, I'm not, I'm not in the bandwagon of let's fire Julian at all. I, I think that, um, I'm a little bit old school too. And I think there's an ebb and flow to the whole season. And I think you don't want to peak too high. You don't want to like make drastic changes necessarily, uh, after a couple losses, uh, and you just pull the levers as you go along. You just cannot lose against the, the, bad teams now I think they've already gotten to a point where they need to collect those points and they need to work at peaking you know a month before the playoffs or even two or three weeks before the playoffs however that's going to happen I, I don't think anyone is, is saying that we should fire uh, Claude Julian I think I think he's doing decent enough to 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 to, to earn this and, and especially during last year's playoffs he, he was he was working very hard and, and he has earned his his chance to play this team out uh so i'm not on the on any bandwagon to 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 try uh, to to uh, fire him but i have to i know i've spoken to to uh, somehow i'm in in uh, and and um robert olson in, in uh Hugh gordon and also uh roger runberg in front and all of them say they look to um, handball to a certain degree, but especially to to uh, basketball, where you have these set plays for for the power play and to create a numerical advantage and one end of the ice and get the puck there before the opposing player can react. And it seems like the power play is not really clicking either for for Montreal. Uh, it's been locked down. I, I think I saw it the first time with with Calgary locking down Petrie in one end of the of the ice and, and keeping that corner. Uh, he can have the puck in, the, in in on the blue line in a corner, but he's not going to move around on the blue line and try to to create a, a numerical superiority at one end or the other end. Uh, very very smart play from from Calgary, but it doesn't seem like this coaching team is looking maybe outside the box to be able to, I'm sure they are, but it doesn't look that way that they can change the setup of, of different power plays. You look at other hockey teams, you don't look outside of the box. That's what I'm trying to game at. I agree. I mean, offense comes from confusion, right? Uh, causing confusion in the offensive zone for the, the defenseman. And, um, If you're trying to make that confusion from a system, I think you're already at a disadvantage, right? When you have Marner and these wicked players that are doing it, doing it on their own. I mean, the system's there, obviously, but they're doing it on their own. That's where, that's where coaches make a lot of money, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's any coincidence that, you know, Kirk Muller has had a good, he had a reputation as having a really good power play um, in Montreal and in, in Carolina. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that stopped being true when Markov left. So I just think this power play, it doesn't have a marquee super, superstar. I think, I think Suzuki will get there eventually. Um, and if they're trying to generate goals from the coaches, trying to make the players uh, have a certain system, then I think it's almost backfiring there a little bit. 
but to your point about having set plays, I totally agree. I mean, I think they can become very, very creative. I don't know if you saw Mike Johnson's little uh, analysis on uh, NHL.com. He was showing some of the new or some of the interesting play set plays that teams are doing on the faceoff. Did you guys see that? No, I didn't, uh, but I'll, I'll be sure to look it up directly after this. Yeah, and it, I love it. I mean, Mike Johnson's great, right? And he yeah. basically opened up by saying, look, when I played, which wasn't very long ago, like what, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, he said, we didn't do, they didn't, this was not popular to do. Of course they had, you know, between the players, they had some com- uh, ideas that they would do, but now it's becoming a team-driven advantage specific thing to do right so uh ozone faceoffs he he highlighted i think maybe six to eight and of course what who were the teams that were doing them the leafs the bruins um i forget what other team he was showing there and they were like really fantastic crazy plays you know like um pasternak on the boards at the hash mark on the faceoff going around the net and also the defenseman following him so you have two players which is not normal for the defenseman right off the hop to go around the net and it caused so much confusion by the time they got to the other side of the net uh the defenseman kept going and Pasternak slammed on his brakes the defenseman had no idea what was going on and he was wide open and they passed it to him I mean I think the point being that they there are some creative things going on and would be kind of neat to see the the Habs do the same thing And, and leaving this subject a little bit, there is obviously a game tonight against, a, as you mentioned, a, a arguably worse team than Toronto. The Ottawa Senators, uh, even if they had a fantastic win against Toronto, and uh, if you haven't watched Steve Dangle's uh, YouTube video after that, you, you missed something, obviously. Uh, but, but what can we expect, both of you, Anton and, and Jason, from, from la- tonight's game? Oh, I can start. Um, yeah, I, I think we can expect uh, the Canadians to to rebound. Um, I I think that they have enough leaders on the team to be able to shake this off. We we know that it's difficult as well. To, to it's not only uh, a good thing to have a week off because once you get in the flow and you play every other night, you kind of like you get into that tempo, and then when you have a whole week off, it's just difficult to get into that. Uh, momentum again so now when they have back-to-back uh, Saturday and Sunday night I think that uh, and as you say as an uh, against an arguably w- worse opponent I think that we can expect the Habs to bounce back and uh, you know it was still it was even if it was a bad effort last night it was still small margins um, if the uh, if the Canadians got that third goal or if they had just been able to hold tight at least for the first Uh, power play um, when Matthew scored the opening goal who knows what would have happened it was a it was a closed uh, it was a closed first period uh, and the goalies were playing great so we we can't forget that either uh, even if it's always doomsday when the Habs lose right but it it wasn't really like that it's just it has a bitter aftertaste every time Toronto wins yeah I hope so I, I um, again here's a chance where I haven't seen hockey evolve yet. You got so many back-to-back games and weird schedule things uh, where you have a massive break. And again, I would like to see, and I'm again trying to go back to the creative piece, like why don't they give a lot of responsibility to one player in a game like this? Why don't they tap Kakeniemi on the shoulder and say, you're going to be the de facto second line center. We're going to, we're going to play you 18 minutes tonight. We're going to put you, push you hard and, and see if they can get that big game from him. Or again, putting Kulak or Mete on the first pair and, and 
try split up that Weber pair or something, you know, just, just to give players that are lower in the, in the rankings, a little bit better, more responsibility and see if they, uh, see if they perform. We saw uh Kotkaniemi shot last night. We saw some of the shots uh, in Liga earlier this season. He really has that wicked shot. He just needs to get a little bit of confidence shooting the puck in at NHL level uh, because really it is devastating. But but the reason we invited you, uh, Jason, of course, is um, to have a little bit of a larger look into Joel Edmondson because he is a d- dividing factor among Montreal fans at the time. Uh, at this time. Um, he is, leads the team more or less in plus minus, uh, which is an old stat in many mm-hmm. uh, regards. But but you have looked into other analytics form and, and not only the eye test. Can can you tell us what you have come up with with Joel Edmondson? Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at this the cascading stats and you start from the very top, the you know the goals and assists and the plus minus, those are all fantastic. You know, goals for goals against while he's on the ice. Um, I think some of the some of the big um, hot air in those stats are uh, I think he probably got several plus minus points for all those shorthanded goals. You know, I think he was on for maybe four to five of those shorthanded goals. So that's a lot of plus minus he's getting on that. Um, And the hot air is also in the shooting percentage um, of his line mates right now there. I think he's up to uh, five on five. He's up to 10 point, a little over 10% can expect that to come down. But um, I'm a little bit shocked of his, how strong his underlying numbers are. The, the shot suppression numbers are fantastic. The expected goals against are fantastic. The, um, the shot shares are really good. I think if you're on Twitter, you obviously, the people that don't really like him will point to the fact that he's tied to Petrie. So how can you, it's very difficult to delineate, you know, what is Petrie doing and what is Edmondson doing and who's carrying who kind of thing. So it's still a bit early, but, um, and we don't have enough data to see if he was paired with somebody else. You know, that's when you can really see the difference in the with or without. He needs to be paired with someone else for a pretty big chunk to see if he's weighing down two defensemen as opposed to just, you know, flying with, uh, with Petrie. His, his penalty kill is Okay. Uh, by the data not not fantastic a little bit below average nhl average for suppression and up high for the what you would call the power kill right so he's he tends to be with the eye if you start looking at the eye piece he's creative he's a little bit creative he makes good short passes he's a little bit risky so if all those risky takes so far in the first uh, what are we at 16 games if all those risky takes are your are on the 50, 60%, you're, you're winning those risks. It's going to look good, right? If they start to fall back, uh, then you might see um, some regression. I think the last point I'm going to make is I, I did a little poll um, on Twitter. I think you might have seen that, Patrick. Um, and a lot of Habs fans think that he's doing pretty well, like uh, adequate, basically. Not too, ma- not too many. Oh, i got loud kids in the, in the background here. Not too many... Um, fans are saying he's like doing a bad job. I, I think the, the big, if, if people don't like Edmondson, I think, uh, I mean, it's hard to argue that he's not doing a good job right now. I think the argument is people would have preferred to have a puck moving defenseman in that spot rather than doubling down or tripling down on big defensive defensemen. So that, that's just a personal take, right? 
you mentioned you mentioned before when when we met at the Habs decision podcast that um he Edmondson is really really good those first 10 15 seconds in in a own uh face off like out of your own zone creating that space to to get the puck out but as long as it's more than that when he gets hemmed in he's struggling carolina have you seen any um any changes in that perception or in those numbers when you look at it from a Montreal perspective? I went to look it up this morning and uh, my, my Patreon has expired. So I got to re up it so I can get that chart again from uh, natural stat trick. So I will look at that I, like based on, um, you know, the eye test and the current strong data he has, I'm going to say that it's probably very high. I think the interesting data that I pulled out on him recently is that, um, he's facing some of the stiffest competition in the league right now. So the way Montreal deployed defensemen last year, it was Weber and Sherratt facing the, the elite competition. And then you had Petrie and um, Kulak kind of just in the middle. And then you had sheltered defensemen at the bottom. Whereas this year, um, Petrie and Edmondson are way up there with Weber and Sherratt. They're, they're facing really, really high percentage of their ice time versus elite players. And then way, way, way at the bottom is um, Kulak and Romanov and Mete. So there's a massive gap between those instead of uh, a little bit less of a gap last year. So whereas we roll four lines in in, in forward thinking, uh, we roll two lines or two and a half in, in defensive pairings. Again, it's a little bit early. It's only 16 games in. So, you know, when you play the Leafs four times and you're always facing Matthews or Marner, that's really going to uh, play with the data, obviously. But, you know, everyone says that uh, Claude Julien rolls his lines, but it's not like peewee hockey here where he just randomly rolls his lines. He's he's definitely making sure that he's getting the defenseman out against the top, other team's top player. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, uh, obviously we know that Jeff Petrie and Brett Kulak uh, formed uh, what, what was considered a great duo in um, in the playoffs. And I think that those who criticize Edmondson right now, they want to go back to that pairing uh, and see what Petrie could do with Kulak as his partner. Would you have anything to say against that? Do you think that Petrie and Edmondson should stick together for now? I, I think so. I think the it's okay to stick together right now because... Um, the good thing that, and, and Julian always says that is that Kulak could probably just step in at any moment with Petrie as needed. So all this time right now, it's only 16 games really that they're still, I still think that uh, Edmondson and Petrie are figuring each other out. Um, like when I, I agree like this, these charts and the data that everybody, I agree. And I spit out a lot of, a lot of those charts, but what I did not like about, Kulak last playoffs was I felt that his decision, his stats washed out very well, but his decision-making I thought was not fantastic. Um, like he would pinch at the wrong time or something like that. And that only has to happen once a game and your coach does not like that as you guys know. Right. So I, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sold on Kulak. I haven't seen him with against top, top um, competition as much as maybe Edmonton Edmondson has been. So, no, I, I think they should keep them. I'm happy with Kulak at the bottom pair. And he is playing he is playing very well in that role. And it's something that on this podcast we talked about, Patrick, um, 
last time, which was I was worried that if he was given lesser a less role, that he would not do as well. And the opposite is happening. I think he's given a lesser role, and he's really flourishing. Gulak there. So, so we're going to see a rotation. You think on Mete Romanov and and uh, or Romanov and. Uh, and uh, Kulak, uh, they're going to rotate, or you going to you think they're going to keep Kulak on off, off the ice for a little bit and to to have him come in more fresh? Yeah, um, maybe. I think um, I, I still just don't think that 16 games is enough for Edmondson and Petrie to get it's their. Still, it's still almost what quarter of a season. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Some some <laughs> play, well. Remember how long it took uh, Sherrod? Yeah. To um, to get going last year. So I don't fully think that Petrie is a hundred percent comfortable yet. Um, and to be quite honest, people are saying, you know, he should be up for Norris and he's having a fantastic season. And it's amazing how uh, a handful of goals and points can really change perception on a player because Petrie had an absolutely fantastic year last year. And, Goals and assists aside, the underlying numbers he had last year were better than this year. And his I don't think he's playing a fan, necessarily fantastic season this year yet. So we got more to expect from Jeff Petrie, that's what you're saying? Yes, and I think we track um, the transition stats um, with an accounting and uh, data science student from McGill University in, in Montreal. He hand-tracks the um, transition stats. And one thing I was surprised at was that Petrie's transition stats are not that great yet. They, they were stronger last year in the playoffs. And I can definitely see an uptick there. And I, I just believe personally that they, they still haven't figured it out yet, him and Edmondson. We're having some uh, stats. Some problems here uh, due to uh, probably atmospheric uh, uh, situations <laughs> across the North Atlantic or, <laughs> or North Pole, depending on how, how this sound is traveling. Um, we're really happy to have you here, Jason. Uh, I love the fact that you you bring in uh, the knowledge, especially in regards to Joel Edmondson, which has been a decide- dividing factor among Habs fans. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on, and and we're going to leave you uh, in order <laughs> in order to go skiing with the kids. They seem very excited for it. Um, but but any predictions for for tonight's game? against Ottawa. I'll predict uh, Habs win. Thanks again, Jason. Uh, enjoy the skiing. Uh, Anton, um, you stay safe up there. We, we see some um, disturbing facts for, from COVID uh, or people behaving weird in the Swedish um, resorts. So, so yeah. please be safe. Um, everyone else, listen to your government, get vaccinated, wear a mask, uh, protect each other, and don't forget to cheer for Montreal tonight because it's a back-to-back game.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.